The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we are excited to have the opportunity every week to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we're going to talk about something that I'm guessing most of you have never even thought very hard about and that almost none of you know anybody who's actually doing, and yet it's probably a strategy that you ought to educate yourself about a little bit, and that is vacant land. How does one make money from vacant land if one is not a builder or developer? So to help me discuss this very interesting uh, and low competition topic. I've got on the air with me today, Mr. Jack Bosch, who uh, immigrated to the United States from Germany in 1997, did the required stint in corporate America that all real estate experts seem to have to have, and then got into real estate investing instead in 2002 and has bought and sold over 4,000 properties since that time. He is well known as being the nation's top expert in not just flipping land, but also, get this, creating income from vacant land. Jack, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I am, I'm excited to talk to you today because since the last time we talked on the air, which I think was probably two years ago, um, I have spoken to several of your successful students who have done... <laughs> things with land that I I would have rolled my eyes and said you didn't do that <laughs> before I before I talked to you and understood what it was they were doing and um, given that my state is pretty much nothing but land from about the Cincinnati border all the way to the West Virginia border I'm excited to start doing that myself so wonderful so let's let's just start with this um, I and and probably most of my listeners have been pretty focused on like real estate, right? Like properties, uh, also notes, you know, think, things like that. And that's mostly what we talk about. So can you right. help us understand how how it is that what you are doing with land is similar to what we're doing in t with the houses right. in terms of like what what strategies are you implementing once you find a deal? Sure, absolutely. So, so the first thing is um, land has kind of like in the real estate space, people look at land uh, from from a point of view of 
large, expensive development land. And therefore, they think of land as risky, as something that takes a long time, as something that costs millions of dollars, as something that requires rezoning, redevelopment, development and lots of meetings in the county, in the city, this long, drawn-out process. Well, I'm here to tell you that there is another kind of land that you can deal with, and actually that is the, uh, that is the properties that are only worth between, let's say, $5,000 and about $200,000. So infant lots, lots right on the outskirts of bigger city in the path of growth, or even rural acreage that like an hour, two hours, three hours away from the bigger cities that you can be um, having fun on and that you can buy that, and, and that are in private ownership by individual people who bought them many times 10, 20, 30 years ago, or in many cases have inherited them, and they just don't want those pieces of land anymore. And what you end up, what you can do is you can flip that land the very similar way. The process is different, but the principle is exactly the same as flipping houses, as wholesaling houses. So what we are basically doing is we're wholesaling real estate and we're selling uh, real estate just without houses. Because land is real estate, too. It's right. Actually, any house that you have ever bought was really a piece of land that you bought just happened to have a house on it. Mm -hmm. So because the deed doesn't state it's a three-bedroom, two-bath house, the deed states it's lot number 23, and it happens to have a three-bedroom, two-bath house on it. So really, all the house flippers out there are really land flippers. They just didn't know it. <laughs> uh, you want to take it that way. But, uh, but, but the thing is, obviously, their focus was on the structure, our focus is just on the land. What can you do in the area of the land? What is that land good for? And more than anything, what we're doing is we're finding people that no longer want these pieces of land. They're willing to give up these pieces of land because land has a little bit different dynamics. Like a house, you rent and it provides cash flow. You sell the house when you either retire, when you get older, or when you want to roll the money into something else, or if you have too much trouble with the house, there's too many repairs and... and, and and too many midnight move-outs and trashed houses, and you get sick and tired, you sell the house. The land, if somebody owns it, owes, uh, is like it comes with property taxes every year. It comes with a little maintenance every year, like mowing the grass and so on, particularly if it's in the city. So a lot of sellers don't want that anymore. They're not emotionally attached to it like they are to a house, and they're willing to give these properties up for 5 to $0.30 cents on the dollar, and then what we do is we turn around and sell them again for 50, 60, 70 cents on the dollar as a wholesale deal, uh, doing the same thing, assignments, double closings, uh, transactional funding, so doing deals without any uh, using our own money. Or we mark them up and sell them with seller financing. So we are getting into the note business, just we create our own notes by taking a $30,000 property, putting it on a contract for $3,000, selling it for $30,000 with a $5,000 down payment, getting $400 a month and basically have no money in the deal and collecting $400 a month for the next eight years, making something like a 1,500% return over eight years, a 200, uh, 200, close to 200% a year. Mm -hmm. So we can wholesale them. We can sort of rent them. I mean, you're not renting, you're selling it at, uh, 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 selling it carryback owner financing, which, by the way, when you said that, I thought... And I bet you don't have Dodd-Frank problems when you're seller financing land. Absolutely right. You don't have Dodd-Frank problems, and you don't have problems with the dealer status of the IRS. Mm -hmm. Because 
uh, there's actually an IRS provision. I don't have it handy with me right now, but uh, I can provide it to you uh, separately. And, you can, uh, and uh, that is uh, that has an exemption in there that if you buy and sell land, and you don't materially, that's my layman's way of saying it. It's not legal advice. If you don't materially change it in the middle, in the process, you are exempt from the dealer status. Hmm. So in other words, what that means is that when you sell a lot of seller pro- properties to seller financing, the IRS forces you to recognize the income when you sell the property, even though you haven't received all the payments yet and all the profit yet. Mm-hmm. And so you're selling a $10,000 property with a $1,000 down payment, but you bought the property for $1,000, you have a $9,000 profit, but you only get a $1,000 down payment. Then the IRS says, well, you made a $9,000 profit, you got to pay taxes on $9,000. But this exemption allows you to pay taxes only as the money comes in. Mm-hmm. So you have no problems there, and you don't have problems with the Dodd-Frank Act, because to my knowledge, Dodd-Frank refers to Regulation Z, and Regulation Z as a refers to a dwelling as a Regulation Z, as defined in Regulation Z, and Regulation Z defines a dwelling as a residential structure of one to four units. Since land doesn't have any structure, it's by definition outside of Dodd-Frank Act. Wow. Okay. So far, so good. Now, when we come back from this break, we're going to talk about the the third the third thing that I know you have done because actually this just this just kind of came up for me today, and that is not retailing land, but 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 going ahead and making some changes that could make it a whole lot more valuable. In the meantime, listeners, I bet you've got questions. <laughs> I bet you've got questions about some piece of land you've seen or something that something that came across your plate or something about Jack's strategy. And I want to encourage you to ask those questions by calling 877-772-9658. Again, 877-772-9658. Or by sending an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Jack Bosch, certainly the best-known person in the the vacant land investing field that I know. don't know anybody else, in fact, who is an expert in it. Uh, Jack is also one of the featured speakers at the 2020 online OREA National Real Estate Summit. I just went over to WMKV's webpage, and I noticed that it's still up there. the The summit is still up there as a uh, as a pledge item that you can uh, you can get grab a seat to the event for ninety seven bucks, and uh, that money actually all goes to public radio here at wmkvfm.org. And uh, it's uh, it's going to be a great event if if you if you're at all interested in real estate investing. Don't care if you're a newbie or been doing it for years. Trust me. There are multiple topics there that you have not heard that are going to help you build a bigger business. And, of course, then there's the double feel-good of when you get your seat through WMKVFM.org, that money goes to support public radio. I mean, wow, what a winning combination. So, uh, Jack, there's there's one other thing that... As I was as I was reading through some of your materials, I noticed, and I know this doesn't work on every property, but I know you sometimes will actually, instead of just wholesaling the land, you'll take possession of it, and then you'll you'll do something that increases the value of the land over what it was when you bought it. And the the way this came up 
for me today is I was talking to uh, another member of our RIA group here in Cincinnati, and he ran into a an old house. I mean, you know, it's 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 built in the seventies in an area where everything else is built in like the nine uh, the nineteen nineties two thousand range, and uh, in this area the. Uh, of Ohio, the, there has been kind of a building boom over the last 20 years, and this worn-out old house also has 11 acres with it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so, so, yes, absolutely. So, the problem is that, that all, all of that is all on one deed right now, but if, if you were to see that deal, what would your first thought be? Uh, splitting it. That's the that's the answer there. So yeah, we have done that numerous times that we have taken a property and ideally you want to do that. We have done it more in rural properties because we focus on we specialize on three kinds of properties. Infilots, which would that probably fall into? Usually the infilots we come across are a little bit smaller and they're empty. So we would take an eighty thousand dollar infilot, put on a contract for thirty five, sell it to somebody for sixty five for twenty thousand dollar profit. Second kind of property is uh, in the outskirts of town where this actually would work really well and larger acreage where it also works well. And the process that you're alluding to is that you take a bigger parcel and ideally you do that along a street. And we do that in the we again, our focus is always to do the absolute minimum necessary to make a really good profit. We're not in the business of redeveloping that property and having a, a road designed to it and, and having a road paved and, and, and uh, subterranean utilities brought to it and all this kind of stuff. That brings you immediately into the area of the multi-hundred thousand, multi-million dollar uh, development process that I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. We are interested in speed. We are interested in turning the dollar quickly, the velocity of money. Like if you can do, if you can take the same five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars, whatever it is, and turn it to every six weeks, you have you can turn that into a million dollars in a matter of a year. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what we've done. It started with three thousand dollars as immigrants from another country, and we turned that into a million dollars in eighteen months. Now our students turn it into a million dollars quicker. But in this particular scenario, what we do, what I would do is immediately I would go and I would have somebody do. In this case, you, probably you need a survey. You ask a surveyor to survey the property, and and then you might even have to put in stakes and subdivide it in in smaller lots. Now, depending on the rules are in the, in the in the county, it could be as easy as what's called a paper subdivision. That all you need to do is define separate legal descriptions for each of these. They say 11 acres. Let's say if every lot is typically on an acre, then you can you carve out the acre where the house is on is on and then you carve out 10 extra individual lots of one acre each if the legal description of that can be defined very easily then in many states they allow you to just simply car- redefine the legal description such that each lead lot lot is, separate, is clearly identifiable um, identifiable and then you send that for the county for recording they review it or for the county for review they charge you like a three to five hundred dollar fee in some states and then they record that and you have de facto created 11 different lots. So what you do then in this case now, since this is in your situation, this is a building boom, uh, you now take those 10 lots, you sell the house for what you probably bought the entire 11 acres for, and now you have 10, 10 one-acre parcels on a road, ideally. You only do that along a road. 
Because again, we don't want to get into the business of creating a road. The, war, the most we ever might do was create an easement for road access, but let the next guy make the road. And so you create, you create those 10 lots, and now you sell every single one of those lots for about 25%, but you sold like for, I don't know, if the lots, if the house individually sold for $200,000, then each of these lots should be worth like $40,000 on its own. Mm -hmm. So now you can make $400,000 by just buying the 11 acres together. And the way we have done it is more in rural areas where let's say there's a square size 40 acre lot with a, with a road on the left on the south side and a road on the west side. So with that, what we did is we took, we split that into half first so that the north half has a road on the west side of it. And the bottom half we split into four different five acre parcels. And in the state that we did, that we've done this, you can do a paper subdivision of up to five properties. So we're taking this property, 40 acres, worth rural area, worth about $25,000 as it is. We've taken that and split it into five parcels, 120 and four five-acre parcels. And once we, and then we sold off the two, and all of them have road access. Very important because you don't want to create landlocked properties. Mm -hmm. That's really an evil thing to do. <laughs> so all of these, so the, the top one, we sold for $20,000. So the top one, the top 20 acres alone, we sold for almost as much as the entire 40 acres are worth. Because in rural areas, as you parcel things, or everywhere really, as you parcel things up, the individual pieces become uh, overproportionately more valuable. Mm -hmm. And then we sold each of the five acre parcels, four of which were there, for about $7,500 each with seller financing and about uh, about $1,000 down and like $150 a month. And bottom line is we ended up making about $15,000 on each of these, on each lot with the payment. So it's 15, 30, 45, 60. Plus, so we, we realized an $80,000 revenue on a property that initially was worth $25,000 and which we had bought for under $4,000. Mm -hmm. So we took $4,000 and turned it into $80,000 over time. Mm -hmm. And the, I, I'm not familiar with this particular deal you did, but I, I suspect that whoever was selling the 40 acres thought that they were selling a farm or an old farm uh, or... Yeah, and, 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 and you're right. And uh, in Ohio, that's probably an old farm. In Arizona, it's just a piece of desert. <laughs> desert, yeah. <laughs> now, now, having said that, the beauty of our method is that we do deals all over the country. And as a matter of fact, our students, we have students now that live in Germany, that live in China, that live in South Africa, that live in Australia, that do... The, the Australians, for example, one particular couple, they do something like... 15 to 20 flips at a month in the United States while COVID is going on and they can't even fly into the United States. Mm -hmm. So because, because it's land, it's a hundred percent virtual deal and you don't have to inspect that, inspect it. I mean, there's nothing to inspect. What you, what you want to see about the property, you can see from Google earth, Google, Google street view, Google um, maps or the county geographical information systems website. That shows you how the property looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to I want to explore that what you just said a little bit more before we come back to other ways of just you know make making what the owner thinks they have into something that's actually better than what they have. Um, usually, when I hear somebody say, "Oh, this can be done virtually," it sets off alarm bells in my head. Um, virtually wholesaling houses. 
is something that a lot it's of never people virtual. yeah it's, it's something a lot of people talk about but realistically if you're if you're seriously going to you know gain the respect of buyers and put good deals on the market somebody has to be boots on ground right. in those houses 100% yes that is uh, my same experience we have wholesaled a few houses and we've wholesaled some houses virtually and but it always had to be done with a local partner that could actually go because somebody needs to look at the place. Somebody needs to estimate repairs. Somebody needs to do all those things. Somebody needs to show the house to potential buyers. So you need the local boots on the ground in the housing world. 100% agree with you. Uh, but indeed, on the land side of things, you don't. We, our typical scenario is the one there that the seller lives, let's pick a state, in New York City. The property is in Texas, and we live in Arizona, and the buyer lives in California. So really nobody goes. We, we, we send a letter. We do a direct mail method with a very high response rate. We get between 2 and 12% response rates on our letters. So we, we contact the seller with a letter. The letter responds by uh, the, phone, the seller responds by telephone. We, you can take the phone calls yourself, or you can uh, a lot of our international students do are the ones that want to do this truly virtual. They hire a call center. We have one in our network uh, that does it for a lot of our students. They take the they take the phone calls from the from the seller. Then you do anywhere in the world you do value analysis using the tools I already mentioned, like Google and so on, and the county website and Zillow. Find out the property value. You don't have to open the door. You don't have to inspect the the basement and the foundation and the roof and the mold and the electricity because there's none. <laughs> so you don't have to go see the property. We, our, none in, nobody in our team has looked at a single piece of land since the year 2006 or seven. So for 13 or 14 years, we have been doing land flips without anyone seeing the property. And then the buyer, then you market that property on, on different websites like Zillow, like Redfin, like Facebook Marketplace, like even Craigslist for that matter, which are all for free. And then you have buyers from from anywhere in the country, we have even, we, we sold so we sold properties to American soldiers while they were in Iraq uh, because they found our listing online. They knew the area was uh, somewhat. They saw the pictures because we put very good pictures on there. And these pictures are also aerial pictures, Google Earth, Google uh, Google Google View, or if anything, you can eventually you can. There's services out there that you can pay a hundred dollars and they send somebody out to the property to take a picture. That would be the only non-virtual thing there. Mm-hmm. If you need those real life pictures of the property, but but then the buyers wire the money in. The title company takes over. They send the documents via email to everyone. You sign it in front of your local notary. The buyer signs it in front of the local notary. The seller signs it to the local notary, and they all send the documents back in. And closing is being the, the deal is being recorded. Uh, the ownership, the funds are being dispersed, and you haven't moved out of your chair in your home. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a huge aha moment for me, the first time I heard you say that because I think I think you actually said something like, "If you were to go see it, what would you do? Like, are you just, are you just <laughs> right. going to wander around and say yes? There's a lot of sand here in this slot in Arizona, right. or hard pan, like, yes. or <laughs> look at those there. trees, they're so pretty. You know, I like like." It, it, you're not going to be able to walk the borders because that's, you know, you can see that on the plat map and you're not going to be able to find it in the middle of a 40 acre wooded lot. It, you know, what, what what are you looking for if you do go look? And it turns out that the Google satellite views are actually available everywhere. 
Like I've I've looked at some land that was like so far out in in eastern Ohio that Google doesn't have a picture of it for street view, but very you know you can see every hill <laughs> in the yeah, satellite absolutely. view. And, and then Google has a, Google Maps as a function of terrain. You can see the topographical view. You can see if it's steep. Is it not steep? Is it in a hill? You can see you you can uh, it's, you, there's everything you can see. There's then the county informs you if you need information about if it's in the flood zone. The county mm-hmm. has that information. You don't need to go walk the property. You wouldn't probably be tell if it's in a flood zone or not to be able to tell. So, mm-hmm. yeah. True there's, story. There's no reason to go leave your house. As I said, we have we have a student in Germany that since COVID started has done like seven deals, uh, some of them making $25,000 and more. Um, and even though he loves coming to the U.S., he couldn't even come. So he is forced to truly do this virtual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about some other possibilities in lands and lo- land and lots that y'all probably haven't thought about because I never thought about them until I actually started learning about this stuff. And we're also going to take your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and my guest today is Jack Bosch, vacant land expert. Also, Hi there, again. One of the speakers, of, <laughs> one of the speakers at the uh, 2020 OREA National Real Estate Strategy Summit, where he gets to talk instead of me just asking him questions that I want to know about. So <laughs> he gets 90 minutes to actually, you know, sort of walk you through this process. Uh, you can get more information about that at wmkvfm.org. Uh, so, Jack, we have an interesting question here from Sheila in Columbus, Ohio. She says, this show is very well-timed. I've been working on a deal in Columbus for two months. It's a teardown with foundation problems, but it's in a very hot market, and the seller is very motivated. The reason I've been working on it for two months is that I've been trying to find out whether the whether the county will allow me to rezone it, how much the permits to build, etc. are. Now I think that maybe I should just put it under contract and flip it to someone who wants to go through all of this. My question is, how would I find the value of just the lot without the house on it? That's a per- wonderful question. So, and and yes, so I mean, I can obviously we we, we can't make that decision for you. The decision on whether or not you go to this entire rezoning process and so on depends on how likely it is that you get through with it. Because a friend of one of our coaches in our in our in our program found this beautiful lot that he wanted to rezone to put a mobile home or an RV park on it, and at the end the neighborhood didn't agree and it was shut down. So he spent all a year in this process and he never got it done in the first place. So you're better off selling it. Uh, in this case, he would have been better off just selling it to somebody else who then tries to push that through, and it's no longer his business to make sure it goes through. So, so it could be a similar situation here, but, but the answer to your question is actually quite simple. There is a, if this is a populated area, that, uh, that, and, and, and assuming the lot, let's say, fits just one house, uh, then what you do is uh, the way to, to identify the value of a lot without the house is typically the way appraisers do it. An appraiser attributes typically about uh, a certain percentage of the house value to the land. So typically, if the, and, and, that, and what that percentage is depends on the value of the houses in the area. So if the value of the houses in the area is like in the $300,000 plus area, 
then typically the value of the lot is in the 20 to 25, 20% range. If the, house, if the value of the, lots in, uh, of the houses in the area are above $400,000, then the, the value of the lot is typically about 25%. If the value of the, lot, of the houses in the area is only like, let's say, 200 to 300, then it's more like the 15%. And if it's below $200,000, then often the value of the land is just a more, um, it's, it's not really a value for the builder because most houses nowadays are, are costing the builder too much money to build for them to be able to still make any money if they have to sell a property for $200,000. So in other words, if they put the standard house nowadays, let's say even a starter home is 1,500 square feet, most builders, let's say, build for $100 a square feet. So it costs the builder $150 a square foot to build the house. Well, he can't make any money to sell it for $200,000 and still pay for the lot and pay for a realtor and pay for financing and so on. So, so in other words, when the, when the surrounding houses sell for less than $200,000, then the value of the land is more like that of a neighbor wanting to expand their backyard and willing to pay like 10 grand for the lot or for a neighbor wanting to park their RV there and is willing to pay 10 grand for that. So typically these lots, in low value areas are more in the seven to ten thousand dollar seven to ten thousand dollar value but if it's above 200 250 300 it's a sliding scale up and it goes all the way up if it's a million dollar area the lot could be worth three four hundred thousand dollars and the house that they build on it they build a house that costs another four five hundred thousand dollars and it's a beautiful three four thousand square foot home and together, that is worth a million dollars. And that still leaves the builder up enough space. So, um, so, so, so I hope that answers your question. I don't know how many lots are involved, but if you can obviously break this into multiple lots, then, and it's a $400,000 neighborhood, then each of the lots could be worth $80,000, $85,000 once you break them up. So right there, this is something for you to look in deeper uh, or to wholesale it to somebody. You tell them, hey, all you need to do is break it up and rezone it. And you got yourself some $85,000 lots here. And then you build that vision for your buyer, but then you just mark it up enough for them to be able to, for you make a nice profit, but for them to still have a nice profit if they go to the hassle that you might not be willing to go through. Uh, Sheila did mention in her email that the new bills in this neighborhood are selling for $750,000. Okay, well, that's, that's great. In that case, the lots would very... I would think the lot would be in the 30% range of that. So that's about a $200,000 lot. Mm. So, so, and if the lot is big enough to split it into two, you might have yourself $400,000 worth of real estate at your hands just in form of the land. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sometimes, it is, sometimes the land is literally worth more than the land with the house on it when the house is going to be you know, a $200,000 rehab. That's still an old house when you're done. You know, it's, it's still right. only a $300,000 house when you're done with all the rehab. So um, yeah. question here from Rebecca from here in Cincinnati. She says, approximately how long does it take to sell land? I've been concerned that land is much slower to sell and therefore might tie up my funds for a long period of time. Right. So so two, two answers to that. First way, the first answer is you don't need to tie up your funds because the way we teach this is that our students put the deal under contract. But because, again, we, our sellers are not in, an, in, a, in a distressed position. They don't need to, we don't need to promise to them we buy your, house, your land in seven days. It's quite the opposite. They have inherited it. 
they have owned it for decades. They don't care about the properties. We put, uh, as a result, we put a close of escrow of six months after contract date in there. Mm -hmm. So we have a full six months before we buy the property, and our contract allows for us to market the property while we have it in under contract. Now, I know Ohio is a little bit iffy about those things, so you might have to uh, indeed buy it first. But if you are comfortable with the language in there and you use it in Ohio, or if you don't want to do deals in Ohio, you do it somewhere else where the, where the laws are a little bit more lenient, then you can totally market it because the contract allows you to market it and then find your buyer and then do an assignment or double closing without using any of your own money. So your money doesn't really have to be tied up. Yeah, Secondly, though, is um, if you end up buying it or either, either way, whether or not you buy it, the timing to sell the property depends on two things. Uh, uh, number one, it depends or three things. It depends, number one, the price. So it is true that if you sell a property, a land piece, a piece of land at market value for cash, it'll sit there. And it sometimes literally sits there for six to 12 months before it sells because you're not offering anything special. You're not offering anything special there. However, if since you have this property under contract, let's say for 20 cents on the dollar, say it's a $50,000 property, you have it under contract for 10, could you list this property for 29999 basically $30,000 at 60% of market value? Then it sells much quicker. So price is a factor. In many cases, properties sell between two and six weeks for our students and, um, and if they do things right. So it doesn't sit there forever. So your money is not tied up forever uh, if you offer a good deal. The second way to accelerate the sale is by offering seller financing. So you take that deal and you offer it at $40,000 and you say, hey, I want a $10,000 down payment for my property, which coincidentally is exactly what you paid for it. Right? But that's on purpose because we want to get our money back as fast as we can. And then you say, and monthly payments off, uh, of $500 a month or so. Even if you only get a $500, $5,000 down payment and $500 a month, within 10 months, you have a 100% return of your investment. That's pretty good, and it beats the bank and the stock market, certainly. So by offering, the, and, and here comes the thing, the lower the down payment, within reason, right, and the lower the monthly payment, the, sell, the faster you sell your property. So if you sell, so you can play with these parameters. And the third parameter is that, that defines the, the, the sale is how good is your listing. So we teach a very a proprietary, very, 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 it's very simple, but it's a very detailed process on how to create a listing that doesn't just sell a piece of dirt, but that sells an entire, everything around it. So if it's a rural property, um, uh, two hours outside of a city, nobody wants to be two hours outside of the city. What they want is a place that is close to hunting, a place close to close to hiking, a place they're close to um, to to rafting or, or to kayaking, perhaps a little lake close by. What they want is still a, a grocery store, perhaps 10, 15 minutes away, because it's nice to be on your own, but you still want to be close <laughs> to civilization to grab your Starbucks. So what we do is what most people do: they take a picture of the land, they put a two-liner on there, and say like, "This property is for sale." And you fall asleep before you finish reading the sentence in the ad. <laughs> what we do is we create an ad that highlights how life in that area, how the weekend fun could be lived, how, how you can go hiking and biking and, and dirt biking and, and, and kayaking and, and skiing if there's a skiing resort close by, and how you're still only 15 minutes away from the grocery stores and the restaurants. If you don't feel like doing barbecue one night, you can go out there and how this is the perfect place to be and spend your weekend.
Mm-hmm. Or if it's a more close by to the city, how it is, it's the perfect place to retirement because you're only three minutes away from the grocery store, 20 minutes away from the big city, from the airport. Your doctors are close by, yet you're still outside of it where the actually city is accelerating, the growth is accelerating. So it's a good financial investment and it's a good place that you can retire with lower cost. Like when you create listings like that, and it's a simple process, then you, um, then you actually uh, you, you accelerate the sale much more, particularly if you then combine it with a lower price or with seller financing. Now you have a double, triple whammy going into your favor and properties sell just much, much quicker. You sold me. I, I, want, this, I want this place where I can hike, bike, fish, still be 10 there minutes from the grocery store. <laughs> so yeah, no, Nobody wants a bunch of dirt. People want a place where they can do what they have, what they want to do in their dreams. So most people sell land as a bunch of dirt. We sell what they can do with it. And that's a very simple process to, to go through. It's just you got to follow a few steps, put in the right structure and list it. And you get so many more inquiries than anyone else. And, and therefore, it sells quicker. We need to take one final break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to answer your question, Brant, in uh Bowling Green, Kentucky, and uh, talk about another couple of things about land flipping. Uh, You can send in a last-minute question if you have one at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we are in our last few minutes here of being able to talk to Jack Bosch about his uh, land flipping business and what he tells other people to do who are not in Arizona about about land flipping. And uh, Jack, we got another question here from uh, a listener in Bur- Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is down on the Tennessee border or close to it. Um, he says, first of all, I love Jack. I saw him at last year's National Real Estate Summit. Actually, that was, I believe, two years ago, Brant. Uh, I'm <laughs> Yes, I know. And uh and uh, let me uh, lost my place here. And I picked up his course and have been using it ever since. I have an unusual situation that I'd like to get his take on. I have okay. a property under contract that is 40 wooded acres on a recreational lake. My thought was that I would flip it to someone who wanted to build a lake house or retirement house there. But now someone has approached me about logging it. They don't want to own it. They just want to take the timber off. But what they're offering me to do that is almost as much as I thought I would sell the property for. If I allow them to do this, am I then left with a property that no one is going to want? Well, yes and yes. So, uh, so, so this is actually a beautiful opportunity because logging, that was when, when I heard the, when you started with a question that says it's a, it's a wooded uh, property on a lake. 40 acres, that's definitely enough. My first question would have been, what kind of, what kind of trees are on there? <laughs> now, this is not something that I've personally actually had the pleasure of doing, but we have uh, several of our students who have done that, so in all disclosure. Uh, this is more now referring uh, to knowledge where I know from having advised people doing that and have successfully doing that. We have a student in our, in our, uh, in our database who actually loves to buy properties like that because what he does is exactly that. He schedules the closing such that um, that the wooding that that the payment from the loggers comes in right when he closes on the property and he gets goes to the same escrow company and therefore basically it's a double closing. It's he gets paid for the trees 
and the payment for the trees allows them to buy the property in the first place. Hmm. And obviously, if escrow falls, uh, falls apart, then the payment to the loggers gets sent back, too. So it all goes to the title company. It's all properly done. But in essence, what happens is, like, let's say he, uh, let's take an example. He has this property under contract for $100,000, and they offer him $300,000 in, uh, in logging fee for the, for the logs. I mean, that's a no-brainer. The only thing you want to consider is that afterwards, indeed, you got a, you got a property that just has a whole bunch of empty stumps on it. So what you need to do now here is is you have two choices. You can sell that property to somebody else who wants to hold on to it. Obviously, it has somewhat of a diminished value, so you won't get the same $300,000 for it that you would have otherwise sold it. You perhaps only get now 50 or 80 for it, but it's now extra profit. Really, anything you get for that property at that point is just extra profit. So you gotten paid for the wood, uh, for the trees, and now for the timber, and now you also get paid for the remainder land and the perfect buyer is somebody who wants to reforest the property mm-hmm. afterwards because these trees typically depending on what kind of trees they are what kind of lumber it is it typically takes about 25 to 30 years for them to grow to the sufficient height and stability for them to be logged again so you got yourself an income stream every 25 years but uh, or an income event every 25 years and you might not want to hold on for it for 25 years but other people do other people now go buy this diminished kind of value property for $50,000 in this example. And so now you sold the timber for 30 and you sold the property at 300 and the property for another 50. So you made an extra 50 that you otherwise would have not made. And in, in combination, probably more than you would have otherwise made. And you let somebody else reforest it. Mm-hmm. Or if you are interested in the reforestation of that property, then you reforest it. You figure out who to work with. And, and I don't know much about that, as I said, but, but you could you could keep it. The thing you want to keep in mind is that it's probably going to cost some money to reforest it, and it's probably also going to cost some money to hold on to it because you're going to have to pay property taxes for 30 years. However, here's another beautiful thing about land flipping, and that is that if you particularly about land, not land flipping, if you hold on to land that is in agricultural use and building uh, growing trees for then resale is considered, in my to my knowledge, agricultural use. You can go to your county and get an exemption. You get your property taxes dropped from on such a property. It might be under normal circumstances, three, four thousand dollars. You might get that drop to literally like 30 bucks a year. So it costs you almost you got paid for the lumber. You, you own the property free and clear. And it costs you absolutely almost nothing to all keep the property for the next 30 years. The only thing that might cost you is is to have somebody come in and reforest the 40 acres, but I don't know what that costs. So it might be worth looking into this. Mm-hmm. And and Brant, just the, the something that kind of made me go, huh, <laughs> was um, you might want to check with whoever controls that lake because a, a lot of the lakes in Kentucky are actually are are owned or managed by like the Army Corps of Engineers or the state of Kentucky. And you might want to make sure that there's no that you're not going to get in trouble for logging <laughs> because Kentucky, Kentucky is hilly and they get concerned about, you know, if you take all the trees off a, a, a hillside, then all the stuff's going to wash down the lake and then we won't be able to use it for drinking water or whatever. So I would check on that. Just, I, I don't know. Something... So that, that's a great point. That actually goes towards uh, one of our points is that the moment you have a property in a contract and you know that since you've gone to our program and have been using it for a while, uh, the moment you have a property on contract, you dig really, really deep on all the potential uh, 
issues that there might be, which uh, our contract allows you to back out of the contract anytime for any reason anyway. But that is definitely with this with this as an on the horizon as an option, you definitely want to look into that. Are there any rules against being able to log that uh, that, that parcel? Mm-hmm. And then and then you move forward. I mean, it's a it's a financial question, but it's also a question of of um, of of legacy because one of our students just very quickly got a property with 600 acres from somebody for a hundred thousand dollars and they have six million dollars worth of lumber on there so what he's doing is he's going through and he's going like every five years he's having like about six hundred thousand dollars worth of timber taken off so that not the entire 600 acres are uh are are empty so while and then he's regrowing them in pieces, but he put that into a trust, and that's going to go back to his family. So he learned from us. He's one of our one of our hall of is in, he is in our hall of fame, but he's now created this big property that every basically every five years throws off six hundred thousand dollars that goes into his trust for the benefit of his children, and then he reinvests a little bit of that to reforest that. But it's going to be a generational. It's his family unless they screw it up. They're going to hold on to this property for generations and keep reforesting, keep harvesting, and are going to make millions and millions of dollars of that property. So if you if you want to focus on that, there's definitely a play in there. It is not typically the play we do, but it is a play. Well, if I lived in Arizona, I probably wouldn't be looking for t- timber either. But <laughs> you're, you're, right, that is definitely true. Here in here in Ohio, there's uh, I, I I just came and described to you. And Kentucky is the same and big chunks of Indiana are the same. So like the adjoining states here, how much just land there is, you get on, you get on route 50 from Cincinnati. And once you get about 30 miles outside of town, it is just land, 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 land with the occasional house, you know, and there's little small towns from time to time. But I mean, it is everywhere and and you you have mentioned that uh you know a lot of people own it because they inherited it and the number of people that i have talked to that inherited land from three or four generations ago when it was when it was it was you know, my my great grandparents moved here from wherever and they they farmed this but you know, nobody's actually lived on it since they passed away and I only really think about it, and this is what's interesting about it. It's not. It's not like they're holding on to it because it was their great grandparents' land. It's not like they ever go there. They 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 only think about it when the tax bill comes due. Right, and then they think about it grudgingly because they don't want to take the tax bills anymore. They haven't been there. They don't have memories roaming around there with their grandparents. They don't want it anymore, and they just want to get rid of it. And those are the perfect kind of customers now. Am I looking? I'm looking at a map of Ohio right now, and I agree with you. There's, I mean, it's all land. There's a lot of farmland. Farmland is a little bit sometimes iffy. We don't, but but if you go to the eastern part of Ohio, uh, it's full of beautiful hilly land and wooded yes, areas. So, all recreational. So again, yep. And and there's lots and lots of land in Ohio to do this with. But again, you don't want to do this in Ohio. Go to Texas. Go to Arizona. <laughs> go to California. Do it. Not go. Virtually go. <laughs> Stay so, at your couch, stay at home, and just do a deal somewhere else because you don't have to go see the property. I would say 98% of our students and customers have never seen a property that they've lived. So, Jack, I really appreciate your time this evening. Unfortunately, we are we have run out of it. Um, real good food for thought. And, of course, folks can 
learn more about the whole process and how it works and all the opportunities by attending the 2020 National Real Estate Summit. Go to wmkvfm.org. Go down to the bottom of the page. Click the OREA thing. Pledge 97 bucks a station and you got a ticket. It is online this year, so no excuses for not attending no matter where you are in the country. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.